right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network. A podcast that could probably outscore a Brian Ferentz offense if you gave us maybe some Bud Heavies and Blake Corum. I am Jared Stormer of the Block M Podcast Network and mazenbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazenbrew.com. Andy, you metaphysical ham sandwich. How the hell are you, sir? It's good to be back again, man. Second pot of the week. Always look forward to it. Hey, yo, we are ready. We only get stronger with time and with effort and in energy and intensity. So we're going to pod this one out for you. We've got the Big House Bleachers boys coming on a little bit later, or at least 50% of them. We'll see what we end up getting. Going to go through our position group grades so far this season. We're going to rank them all, see who has been performing, who's been underperforming, and have a little bit of a generous and gentlemanly debate back and forth about that. Before we get into Wolverines in the NFL, I had a notion when I was, I don't know, say nine, ten Modelo's deep this last Saturday, watching six screens of football like our ancestors intended. I think I solved the NIL problem in, in one afternoon and nine Modelo's. The entire thing is incentive based. Would that not be the easiest possible blanket sweep that you could make that would change it and, and make it work for everyone? The entire thing is incentive based and like and it could be things as much as like showing up to work so it's not necessarily all what you do on the field it's what you put in you get out i solved it isn't that what it's legally supposed to be now but like yeah you, you got recruits charging five thousand dollars just to take a visit yeah that was actually the statistic i heard that made me think like we need to change something about this yeah i think that is how it's designed and that is the yeah. intention but we are so far away from that so i, I think i solved it with nine beers I like it. I'm for that. Any way to get it to be like what it's supposed to be, like the intention behind it of actually making money off what you're doing or producing there, like incentives or jersey sales or stuff like that. I'm all for it because this pay for play, this pay for visit stuff is ridiculous. Pay for visits is asinine. Like that is wild. We cannot go down that road. So no. totally agree with you there. Uh, let's talk on some Wolverines in the NFL. How, how have you felt about this NFL slate so far? You've been following along. You enjoying it? Where you at? I mean, I've been having a great time because some Michigan players have been having a great time on the field and producing. So I've really enjoyed like sitting back on a Sunday, relaxing lions or two and one. So it's been a nice start to the season. I'm with you entirely there. It really does make a difference to flip it on and see some Michigan players to root for, at least for me. I'm not sure like how all of our listeners are and how they interact with NFL football, but I'm just really not going to care that much about like Falcons Patriots, you know, outside of, uh, you know, the fact that there's Michigan guys on it and I yeah. can tune in and see what's going on with Mike on and Josh Uche and stuff. So it is nice. And there's been got some guys that are really showing out. We want to touch on everybody this season. There's some guys that we already have touched on that we're not going to get to in this one, but let's start at the top. And at the top, it's the edge rushers. 100%. Let's start with our favorite one. Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan's Ooh. chosen son. Let's go. Uh, having his best day, having a great start to the season already so far, but had his best individual game against Atlanta. The entire Lions defense actually showed out for this yeah. one. And through week three so far, Aiden Hutchinson is tied with TJ Watt and Max Crosby for the most pressures. So he has been getting after the quarterback finally gets the sack and gets two of them this game at Atlanta. So great to see. Ice the game late, forced the fumble, and recovered it in the same play. Um, just tremendous to see it all come to fruition with him. I mean, he's been getting just national praise from 
all kinds of pundits and all just different coverages. So it's been tremendous to see. And you and I were talking off air. Like if you don't watch the games, you don't understand the impact he's making. If you were just box score watching like every play he has to be accounted for because he's always moving linemen, pushing players around and just disrupting the game from his position. So it's awesome to see him finally get some sacks to back that up. Yeah, I remember early on in the season, it might have been preseason, I sent you a tweet from a guy that covers the Lions, so he's in the know, uh, and it was that Brian Branch could already be the best defender on this Lions team, and I was like, all right, let's 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 pause there, because like Aiden Hutchinson has not finished getting better. Yeah, like He's better this season than he was last season, so I was like, let's pump the brakes there. I'm excited about Brian Branch as well, and you know he has a claim for the second best defender on this team, although Alex Anzalone is having a hell of a year too. Um, but I love what Aiden Hutchinson is bringing to this team, just mentality standpoint. And then, like, as you mentioned, play to play, we already knew about the work ethic, but the ability to penetrate, the ability to beat his guys with power, with speed, with finesse now, just it's the total package, you know, and seeing him grow from his time at Michigan and still being on our favorite team, it's just delightful. So we're never not going to take the opportunity to gush about the man. Yeah, we always start with Aiden Hutchinson. We probably should always finish with Aiden Hutchinson too. But like when you're talking about Michigan Wolverines in the NFL without Tom Brady, the conversation starts with Aiden. It sure does. And it continues with the other edge rushers, which is for sure where Michigan has stood out as far as developing guys that fit the NFL. Um, It's been the edge rushers. It's been the defensive linemen, the offensive linemen, certainly out there, certainly on a lot of rosters, but not dominating the way that these defensive linemen are. And particularly the edge rushers, too. You would think that maybe it'd be defensive tackles. Granted, those don't pop as much statistically and they don't have the tracking on them that these edge rushers do. But again, through week three, the highest pressure percentages uh, at number one with 29 and a half percent pressure percentages, Rashawn Gary at number two, 25% is Josh Uche. So you've got just three Michigan Wolverines pretty much at the top of all the pressure rate statistics, guys that are getting into the backfield at the highest consistency. Um, I don't know what's your overall takeaway from that. We obviously believe that Michigan is defensive line you already, but overall, what are your thoughts on this? Game records, and not to mention from the rock fight last week that was Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. Um, Mo Hurst got a sack. It was Michigan on Michigan crime by taking out by going through Mason Cole, has been playing well this year, but Mo Hurst got a sack on the year, so that was awesome to see. And if you watch Green Bay games or you watch New England games, you see Uche and you see Gary Pop every every series, like it's just undeniable. I think the Rashawn Gary fumbling by Don Brown is a crime on the par with treason. Like he should have had him standing up on the edge, really using his athleticism, keeping him out of the stance. Like you think about like what Mike McDonald or Jesse Minter would do with like this version of Rashawn Gary, like really just maximizing his full potential. It would have been frightening to see. Yeah, it's basically human trafficking here, which is high. But then huh. what Don what Don Brown was doing with Rashawn Gary, yes. right below it, just a tick. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you, man. Uh, criminally underutilized at Michigan for sure. Josh Uche just kind of got better and better, and like yes. was still growing into his his frame and still figuring out who he was as a pass rusher when he jumped to the NFL. So like this has just been kind of a steady ascent. But I don't think either of us thought it was going to get to this level where Uche yeah. Judon is now like I was doing this thought exercise like how many duos of pass rushers would you take over Uche Judon like maybe there's a handful but yeah that's as solid a one two as you're going to get yeah like, I mean 
if if you can get Miles Garrett and the field, you'll probably take that, and you'll probably take T.J. Watt in the field, and you know Micah Parsons in the field, I guess, as far as just overall pass rushers. But the list is not high of just true edge rushers. No, especially when you dive into like the advanced stats to really understand like their true disruption play to play and the impact they're having in the game. So, no, it's awesome. I hate to have to watch the Patriots so much. I thought those days were behind me. But with uh, Josh Uche producing like that and Jabril Peppers being a starting safety there, I'm kind of tuned in every week. And it really is painful to have to watch that Patriots offense. Yeah, that part is not enjoyable. Look, is it our fault that Bill Belichick knows ball and knows ball players and gets a lot of Michigan players there? I, I can't hate on that part of it. No. But yeah, tuning in for the Patriots offense is like, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably rather watch paint dry. A little, little bit more happening. But yeah, um, moving on. Uh, aside from that, Quiddy Pay looking really good for Indianapolis. So I think he'll be on this list of guys that we're going to be talking about here, starting to get to the point now where we're mentioning him week in and week out. So I would think that he's about to become a mainstay really furthers this case of edge rushers developing and, and really performing better in the NFL than they did at Michigan, aside from Hutchinson who had the monster season, but you know, Gary didn't put up monster numbers, quitty pay, not monster numbers necessarily, but really succeeding in the NFL. Yeah, Quiddy Pay with uh, three tackles and a sack in the win over the Ravens without Anthony Richardson. So that was like really just welcome to see for him. He just he's just very solid. I feel like every week you can almost just like pencil in Quiddy Pay for a sack at this point. It's how it feel like. Um, Ojabo at least got in for an assisted tackle on the other side. He had a, uh, his first career sack a few weeks ago. So just been all around edge production, man. I feel like every game you tune into, you're seeing a Michigan player fly off the edge and at least make like, cause some kind of disruption. Yeah, haven't been able to tune into Ojabo as much as I want. Other guys I wanted to call out, we haven't called them out yet this season, is Daxton Hill and uh, DJ Turner up at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's struggling a little bit, so I think that's probably why we haven't talked about him, but not because of anything they're doing. Dax Hill currently uh, leads the team in pass breakups, tied for interceptions on the team. He's like fourth leading tackler on this defense. Looks like a potential star. This is not surprising. I think this is something that everyone who watched Michigan football agreed upon that like Dax Hill is just one of the most talented guys to come through that defensive secondary in a long time, but it's great to see nonetheless. And I like that Cincinnati team, but it, it just all comes down to if they can keep Joe Burrow healthy. Cause if not, that's going to be like a bad, almost unwatchable team. And that would be unfortunate for, for DJ and Dax who've got a chance to play like awesome, meaningful playoff minutes this year. If Joe Burrow's healthy, like I want to see Dax Hill in the playoffs. That would be awesome. Yeah. It's, it kind of feels like it might be the year from hell for the Bengals, especially if Joe Burrow can never get right or has another setback or something like that. But with Dax and DJ being so young, you feel good about their potential, at least moving forward, especially with, is it Lou Amarillo is that their defensive coordinator? Um, just such a brilliant mind uh, with the Bengals. So you just, you, you feel confident they're going to succeed there and really just fill the void of losing like Jesse Bates and Von Bell in the off season. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, Brian Monet still on an NFL defensive roster to this day. You got to love it. You love to see that. Um, Cameron Cheeseman still on a roster. Andrew Stuber's <laughs> out there. Just these guys stick, man. You find you find a role and you fill it. I mean, look what Chad Henney did for years with the Chiefs. Love it, man. You love to see it. Um, all right, that's going to do it for Wolverines in the NFL. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to bring on 
the big house bleachers boys at least 50 percent of them i don't know which one we're getting but we're getting somebody and we're going to talk through our position group rankings so far this season we'll be back right after this all right we are back we are righteous men and we are plus one man that is michael smelter of the big house bleacher report a fine human being from a fine podcast. We don't stand for much. Uh, there's very few that I will attach my name to, but this man, his reputation and his podcast is among them. Michael, welcome to the show. Good, sir. Jared, I am perpetually mystified that you guys choose to welcome me back as a guest. It's my gain and your loss. <laughs> no, I sir, mean, have if, you... if anything else, you at least bring the handsomeness factor way up on this call. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Well, together say... with our powers combined. No, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at ninety uh, percent of what's happening right here is happening just in that haircut and jawline. So we are happy to welcome that haircut and jawline here to talk some Michigan football. The object of today's exercise that we gave to you not twenty minutes before you came on. So props to you for being malleable. Is position group rankings. We are a third of the way through the season. Probably more a quarter of the way when you factor in. This team's definitely got some postseason in it. Uh, but regardless, we have seen four games, so that's enough time to start to get an idea of what this team is, who's performing well, what you've seen. We'll talk a little bit of individual players in this, but for the most part, we want to go hierarchy here. We've got 11 position groups that we're going to touch on here. We've lumped special teams together, and we've separated the lines. So that means there's going to be interior lines and tackles, and there's going to be defensive tackles and defensive ends. And we also broke up the secondary into safety and cornerback just to make make it a little bit more granular. So that is the format of this discussion. I throw it to you, Michael, as the guest. We're starting at number 11. What has been the worst, and I say that in quotation marks, position group thus far? I think you got to go with special teams here. Honestly, if you look at what has been the most painful position group to watch, you have a couple of muffed kicks and punts. You have uh, one, one of them that was lost that was just terrible. Um, you have uh, James Turner coming out and not looking anything like Jake Moody, which is what we wanted him to look at look like in game one. Um, he's redeemed himself a little bit since then. And so, you know, I don't think that uh, I'm just here to crap all over the special teams. But if you got if you got to rank them one to 11, I think special teams has to be 11. Yeah, someone has to be at the bottom here. Like you feel like you're kind of picking on them a little bit, but we're really just picking nits for an undefeated team that really hasn't been challenged in the first month of the season. So I think the ranking is apt here. Like you want to see more from the punt return. You want to see a little bit more consistency in the kicking game. Tommy Doman, the weapon, has been an absolute revelation. At least Jared and I have been getting pumped about some Doman minutes. And obviously the kick return fiasco against uh, Bowling Green, you want to see that cleaned up. So I think it's a pretty definitive number 11 so far into the season. Doman the showman, baby. Yeah, we're here for him. He's been kind of the highlight of the special teams unit. James Turner, very up and down. Um, and then just special teams as a whole. You mentioned the muff punt. There was almost a second turnover where they did the exact same thing against Bowling Green, kicking to the Uck man. There was the flag this week on the delay of game that led to the missed field goal. Just inconsistencies. So this is a unit that can certainly get better. And Andy and I were just saying this in our last pod. Last year, special teams was almost a weapon. We felt it was one of the best mm -hmm. in the country. At Michigan, I just don't think it's at that level of weaponry, but you know, we can get to sound very good and competent. And I think that that will serve this team. Well, uh, Michael, I throw it to you again, sir. What do you think would come next? And, uh, I think we're all in agreement that it's special teams and then 
there's going to be some conversations about pretty much every ranking from here to the top. You know, it's it's crazy that I'm even saying this, but I think you got to go with the tackles. It's been a little bit interesting to see who's who was starting. We thought Ladarius Henderson would come in and probably hold down the left side. Uh, he hadn't gotten very many snaps. I mean, he got a few more in this last game. He's got a great attitude about it. I love the way uh, Ladarius Henderson has been talking about the competition. Um, but when it comes down to it, the offensive line has not performed up to this Joe Moore award-winning standard that we uphold. Uh, when I look at some of the plays that are designed for the interior of that line, they've come through and gotten the job done. Uh, you know, I'm looking at Carson Barnhart and Miles Hinton. They're playing good. They're just not playing great. And so not great gets you a 10th ranked position group on this Michigan team. I'm not looking forward to like ranking the rest of the position groups after this because I have yeah. no idea what order it's going to go in. But no, it has to be tackled because the position still isn't, isn't even solidified yet. Like you've been seeing Ladarius Henderson come in and moving Barnhart over to right tackle and moving Miles Hinton to the bench. And Miles Hinton has still started every game with Barnhart at left. So a lot more to sort out. And I think that uncertainty alone get, garners the 10th spot on this list. Yeah, I don't have a ton more to add other than to just something that we've talked about uh, in the past and on other podcasts, like what Olu Olu with Timmy was able to do last year and come in and be immediately that good. I would say that what we're seeing now with the the transition and a little bit of uh, just a growing period here is probably a little bit more closer to the norm. So I kind of expected to see this a little bit. I think Carson Barnhart's doing great, all things considered, and how uncertain it's been and him moving back and forth on the line. But just give it time. I, I think that this will get better and just time on task. These guys will improve. But yeah, I agree with you andy where we go from here is uh we're in uncharted territory now i i think we should each like nominate a position group for the next ranking spot and then we can talk it out and see where we want to land oh, i love that idea i love that and let me just add here trying to rank these position groups is like the opposite of trying to rank the big 10 west it's like <laughs> it, it's like right so somebody's somebody's going to end up at the bottom. That's really, really good. It's like when you're ranking the big 10 West, somebody's got to just end up at the top. That's really, really bad. You know, it's a very similar phenomenon we have here. I completely agree. Uh, does anyone want to rush to the front here to nominate someone? I feel like I'm picking on someone. If I throw their name out right here, I've got one that could be a little saucy. Um, I got, I, I, let me hear what you got, Jared. Jared. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's not going to be this, but is there an argument for quarterback with three picks in a oh, game? Oh, no. 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 <laughs> it's no. saucy. Look, look, you guys are immediately hating on me. I knew this would happen, by the way. But, like, everybody's pretty close here in the middle. And if it's pretty close in the middle, a three-turnover game is not great. But, I mean, leading the country in completion percentage, being top, like, 10 in QBR, I think that's going to trump some other positions. I just laugh. Le leading the country in completion percentage. Yeah, a tenth or a ninth out of the 11 position groups on Michigan. Here, I've got a nomination here, and let, let me pitch my case. And I don't love this one either. I'm going to say safety. And here's why. Here's why. I love, what Keon, I love what Keon Sab has come in and done, right? So this has nothing to do with him. He's basically removed from the equation. If you think of the one play, that was really the worst play Michigan has had this year, other than turnovers. If you take turnovers out of the equation, it, it was in this last game when that when that long pass got thrown um, and that Rutgers guy took 
often to me. And I, I haven't rewatched the game yet, so tell me if I'm remembering this wrong. I think it was Rod Moore coming in fresh, just taking a terrible angle, missing the tackle and giving up the touchdown. And so we know that Rod Moore is not going to finish the season this low, but I, I think he might have just earned the safeties uh, a, a low ranking with that play. One play, one play there, Rod's third of the season. I'm going to throw out my nomination and we can litigate these three. Mine is tight ends because Colston Loveland had been pretty quiet throughout the year. Uh, A.J. Barner was responsible for one of those interceptions in the Bowling Green game with running a terrible route and drawing his defender to be able to guard two positions. Max Bredesen had the fumble in the Bowling Green game in terms of an up man. And just all around kind of a quiet first third of the season for these three guys. Loveland's coming on, but if we're just really just splitting hairs, I think that group has a strong case. I had tight ends here as well. Um, I'm going to back that for Andy. I agree. Um, slowly getting started. And AJ Barner didn't have the best three games to the season. Really had a much better game against Rutgers. And Colson Loveland just wasn't really involved in the passing attack too much until recently. But as block, like as a blocker, he's looked really strong. Max Bredesen's been strong. But if we're picking nits and we're down here talking about safeties, we're talking safeties talking Rod Moore comes in and he on his third play. You're willing to say that that one play is is worse than three interceptions when, you know, he's, we haven't had our full contingent of safeties back there. Um, no, I mean, we're, we're really close on all of these here. So, um, yeah, you, you can go either way. I'm going to back you up on tight ends though. So Michael, if you, uh, if you can third this, I think we'll throw them in here. Then we could go we tight can... ends and then we could go safeties at eight or was it nine? I, I would push back. I mean, I'll make my argument here. You'll, you guys will probably trump me, but uh, I would say that three turnovers is worse than rotating safeties that have given up a total of one touchdown. No, no way. So if we're going to talk, uh, first off, you can have tight ends. I, we, we, there's the a JJ glasses are insane. I love JJ. I, we all love JJ. Yeah. He's an adult. He can take it. All right. He's an adult. He still has three turnovers in a game. It was a really well, bad game. Two of like, those were only, only two of those are on him. Well, and your boy okay. AJ Barner uh, in the tight ends was responsible for yeah. that one in the back of the end yeah. zone, right? Like he didn't he didn't pull his my man boy. up at all. Your best friend AJ Barner. I, I got a lot of I got a lot of boys on this team. I never I never knew AJ Barner was one of them. I just ranked him as the eighth worst position group because <laughs> of him. Well, um, well, so if, right, if not if not safeties, that... then it can't be quarterback. I, I like I think Andy and I are telling you right now. I can't we can't throw JJ that low. Um, who who else? Like what what else falls linebackers? That low? Let's let's no. have a little bit of linebacker discussion here. Okay, I I couldn't think of this any. Is, I, I think that, exactly. I think the linebackers are going to be very high on this list. Front seven like, needs to be. Yeah, the front. I mean, I got to you, yeah, you shut down the run game. Yeah. Like it's because of them. Like we're not seeing it as much. Like not the flashy plays. Um, here's a crazy one. Like we're, if we're getting into like splitting hairs with quarterback, like when does the running backs come into the mix here with like Donovan Edwards, not coming to the fold yet. Quorum had a rough game against UNLV. Like Khalil Mullings is coming onto the scene, but it's like, we're not seeing the Benjamin halls or any of those players break out right now. Like we Blake, know where it's, and again, we're splitting hairs at this point. Like, right. But, Let me put back on that just a little bit. Blake Quorum is on pace to, to to break the the rushing touchdown record, I know JJ gets all the uh, all the passing touchdown talk, but Blake Corum's on pace to break the record, and so it's similar to the JJ conversation, except Blake Corum doesn't have the errors, and so I would 
and and what I mean by that is is uh, the the backups are basically non-existent, right? Quarterbacks, nothing there. Running backs, we haven't seen much. But JJ has the interceptions, and so if it was between the running backs and quarterbacks for me, I'd give Jared the nod there and say QBs, you know, three interceptions in one game. So are we going to rank quarterbacks at eighth on this list? I still feel stronger. Safeties? Okay. Yeah. I think safety is probably correct here because the pushback about JJ leading the nation in efficiency, it's not a hollow statistic with who we've played and like some of the massive numbers being put up in other conferences against better opponents. But I would caution everyone with that statistic after four games. Like it's just... We haven't played anybody at all. So, um, but not not to take away from what he's done there. So we'll go. Jared hates there. So JJ McCarthy. <laughs> all right. Noted. Note Noted. Okay. <laughs> Look, just so long as you're not putting anything out there against like the Swifties and the Taylor Swift fans, I think we'll be fine. That's true. JJ fans are a vicious group, but I think I'll survive. I won't get shanked in my sleep. Um, all right. Uh, we are at safety, which we put at number seven behind tight ends. Safety's now at there's eight. A dis- safety's at eight. Excuse me. Yep. My mistake. Um, so now we're looking at number seven. Michael, what do you think here? Oh man, I just, I hate that you threw it back to me because no, no matter who brings up the next position group, it's going to be a good position group. And yeah. Th- this, yeah. this sounds crazy to me, but I th- think, I think I'm going to go with edge. Uh, just because I like what I'm seeing from every other group. I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll let you put, make the running back argument here, but I, I think edge just because they haven't really dominated a le- lesser opponents the way that you would expect them to. I I actually like this. Uh, I like this placement of edge. It was going to be non- my nomination as well. I think they've played really disciplined. Like I think you can't just box score watch to understand the impact of this group. We saw that against UNLV. We saw that against uh, Rutgers. We're going to see it again against um, Nebraska next week with just how they're playing and what they are tasked to do within this defense. So while the numbers aren't there, like I still think they're having a great impact. But it's it's hard. It's hard to rank them any higher than this compared to some other uh, position groups on this team. Yeah, uh, I was gonna try and make an argument to move them and safety around, but they like the front seven just in general. And I know we're not, you know, we're trying to split this up, but the front seven has really controlled the pace of these games. And at times that is the defensive ends. There was the Jalen Harrell game where he had the back-to-back sacks, Um, you know, Chris Jenkins, where was he lined up when he had the interception? I think he was still lined up as defensive tackle, tackle, but he's, yeah, but he's been out on the edge a couple times. Like this is a a really well-rounded group. So yeah, I think this feels right for edge rusher. This, this is the correct ranking. Um, all right, so that is number seven then? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, all right, so we are moving to number six here. And to be fair, like, once we got past, like, nine, everything is, like, a highly rated group here. Like, I'm giving all positive grades to every group we're touching on here. Oh, I, we're going to have 12 position groups total. So, it, yeah, yeah, I was just count, I, I was just doing the math there. So we're having- Me too. Me too. I was picking up on it. I was like, wait a second. So I think we, I think we might be one ahead on our numbers here, yep. but we can just keep, we can just continue with the hierarchy. The numbers we'll don't get, matter. We'll yeah. The hierarchy is what matters. Right. We're so, here to yeah. talk ball. Like math is what it is. 
I'm no J. Robert Oppenheimer, all right? I'm here to talk ball. <laughs> so, okay, so we have special teams at 12. We have uh, offensive tackles at 11, tight ends at 10, safeties at 9, uh, edge rushers at 8. Where are we going at number 7? I can tell you who I have, but again, uh, I, I think an argument can be made for about four or five position groups here. I guess cornerbacks. I mean, they haven't uh, really made any crucial mistakes. I, if if I want to nitpick uh, the play of Josh Wallace, he he's he's given some space to some receivers and some at some times. I don't think he should have. I think it'll cost him against a team like Ohio State. It hasn't costed him against this competition, and so they haven't been healthy. Maybe cornerbacks here. Um. My pushback would be Mikey Sainer-Still's current stat line of 11 tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, yeah. two picks, including a touchdown, as we just saw. So that would be my pushback, having this low. You had me at yeah. Mikey. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. going to say, like, this is one guy really bringing up the entire group. And Josh Wallace getting tested a lot with Will Johnson out. And then Will Johnson comes back and, like, they're not even going to try to throw at will johnson anymore so wallace tested again i think that he's holding up pretty well truth be told i've liked what i've yeah. seen from josh wallace almost had that crazy concentration pick um, yes. that was you know turned back on a technicality um, i mean the rules but a technicality <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> yeah. so, I'm, I'm pretty high in the cornerbacks um again we have played some of the worst passing offenses in the country so these stats feel incomplete i'm i was telling andy off air it feels like we've got a ferrari that's just gathering dust with the secondary going against like the number 128 the number 116 the number yeah. 119 pass offense like take it out for a drive we'll open it up on a country road see what it's made of so where are we going on this one are we going to talk running backs, quarterback again? Are we going to go through that? I would nominate quarterback here um, because, I mean, look, wide receiver, you got Roman Wilson on pace for just an incredible year. So, I mean, the question would be, does Roman's great performance take hit, take the whole group up a notch? Um, does JJ's one bad day take him down a notch? That's kind of the discussion we're having here. Or do we want to insert running backs here because of the just the entire room and Blake getting off to a little bit slower of a start? Yeah, he didn't have 243 well, yards in week four this time. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, well. Yeah, I did I did have quarterback higher than running back here, but I think, Jared, you might have won me over just uh, really putting a microscope on the three interceptions, right? Like, that. that's a stain that I don't think the running back position has. I mean, ha of course, we haven't seen much behind Blake Corum, but we haven't needed to. Donovan Edwards is really the only person you can say anything negative about. And he's been pretty electric in the passing game, actually. So it's not it's not like he's been playing bad. He just hasn't gotten anything going uh, between the tackles. So do you, are we, are we going to rate quarterback above receiver, though? Like, I'm thinking more like to the Rutgers, to this mo most recent game. Like, receivers really struggled to get separation. J.J. was still deadly accurate and made a big impact with his legs in this game. So it was like... I'm I'm very high on receiver. Uh, I'm very high on receiver. I, I, I mean, we we haven't seen a guy like Roman Wilson come out and get this many touchdowns this uh, early in the season. He he's got everybody excited about Michigan football and their passing game again. Not to mention when we needed to play most in uh, the bowling green game. 
Uh, JJ threw it a little bit short. Cornelius Johnson came up with that spectacular, you know, bobble catch. And then we, when we needed a play against Rutgers, who made a contested catch in the end zone? Samaj Morgan. I mean, the, the, the receivers have, have come up big in big moments, in my opinion. I, I would have to agree, and this is where it gets a little bit weird because we're dinging JJ for the three interceptions, but wide receivers aren't going to have three turnovers. Like that's just that doesn't make any sense. So they're not going to have those really glaring negative plays against him. JJ touches the ball every single possession, so we've got to kind of weigh that as we're making this. Um, I still I, I'm with you, Michael. I think that when you have a receiver on pace for 18 touchdowns and like record setting performances and uh, what Roman Wilson's been able to do. And Cornelius Johnson has had some moments, um, you know, he's been okay in general, like he didn't separate much against Rutgers, but you know, Samaj Morgan is another good, you know, that's a good notch in the belt as well. So I I'm with you. I'm going to go quarterback then receiver personally, but Andy, feel free to push back. No, I'll, I'll concede that. I mean, you're all making good points. And if we're going to talk about like the glaring mistakes and things like that, like McCarthy's obviously responsible for those. So we can go quarterback at seven here. And now, Michael, are you comfortable with receiver at six or do you want to put running back there? Where do you, what are you thinking? Well, like I said, I'm very high on receiver. And so I, I, I think running back would be the next one because I mean, what position has been painful to watch at times I, running back has right. And it, it, even even some of these quorum carries that used to be like a five or six yard run up the gut. It, it, it feels like we're getting stopped at the line of scrimmage a little more than usual. I mean, you could put that on the line and I, I think a, a smart person would at times, but especially these Donovan Edwards plays that, and, and we know Donovan, he has this like one cut stutter step. And if he doesn't get through, he's stopped. And if he gets through, he's running for six, yards against Ohio State but it, it, we haven't seen him get through yet and it's been really frustrating and so for me I, I think running back is the next logical choice I, I'm okay if you guys want to push back on that but th that's that's where I would put him so here's the thing so Blake Corum is tied for the national lead in touchdowns Roman Wilson is tied for the national lead in receiving touchdowns but if we just even want to look at it like a per game basis, Roman Wilson's averaging 67 yards a game and Corum's still averaging six yards a carry, despite like the offensive line still figuring itself out. And it's like, I really think it's like kind of like a one-to-one -one comparison here because the rest of the rooms are still emerging and still finding themselves. And I think a little bit more of Corum on the national level, what he's been able to do with what's in front of him, I think just gives him a little push for now. Do we want to talk about linebackers? I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that's not the, yet. It, okay, I'm with you. I'm <laughs> with you. I'm with you. You, you said enough. Yeah. You could convince me of either here. You've both made compelling arguments. I don't really feel strongly either way. Uh, one point that I haven't heard made yet is running back blocking has kind of downticked a little bit this year, actually. Um, and it seems like it's just mental stuff. And it was mostly during those first three games where we're swapping in coordinators and things were a little bit disjointed. But there were a couple like chip blocks we didn't get or missed assignments by the running back. So I'd be okay like if we're trying to literally just nip pick here i'd be okay with that moving it one way or another andy your point about uh, blake corum and in the amount of national attention and you also made a point in our first pod about how our opponents are running like counters to the duo play specifically to stop what we yeah. like to do with corum so if you think mm -hmm. about the fact that like they're gaming against corum every single week and saying hey jj go for it it kind of makes more sense that the receivers have showed out that they were well 
every game plan is, hey, let's stop Blake Corum. So I, that's kind of me leaning um, wide receiver, then running back. But I'm open to either one here. It's tight. Let's just Michael. pick one and move forward. I, I think it's a coin flip. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a coin flip. I go wide receiver down, then I go running backs. Okay, so we'll do it let's that do way. It. It's it's it is an absolute coin flip, though. I'm completely with you, and let's not discredit what Roman Wilson has done this season. Absolutely insane. I thought maybe there was an argument to to move linebackers here, just so that we could like recognize what Roman Wilson's doing, and but then it doesn't quite add up because I think we all agree that the front seven's been the strength of this team. Yeah, yeah, they're just so good. Honestly, it's it's hard to find. Uh, issues with what with what they're doing in the front. I mean, we haven't faced an opponent that truly tests the front seven, but we we have to evaluate what we've seen so far, and what we've seen is them basically shut people down. So, are you thinking linebackers or corners here? I would say corners. Oh man, but the Mikey. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Oh my gosh. Did All we right. Not, um, we, we didn't put corners down yet. I feel like no, no. So, because of the Mikey thing, and we said running backs and wide receiver were like the closest. So that's why we weren't talking cornerback there. So I Do, think, is there an argument there to maybe insert corner in between somewhere? So are you thinking inserting corner in between wide receiver and quarterback? That seems right. I'd be fine with that. That'd be better yeah. for you. Yeah. Michael? Yeah. Let's okay. do it. All right. So to recap, that puts a uh, cornerback at number six. So yeah. it goes special teams, offensive tackles, tight ends, safety, edge rusher, QB corner, and then wide receiver running backs. Yep. Got it. That's where I got off. Okay. Yeah, I mean, these are all coin flips. Like, you could talk me into a ton of different orders here. Like, that's why I just wanted to hear who has the best, most well-formulated arguments here. This is really uh, a test of showmanship. All right, top three here, gentlemen. I think it's easy. I think it, I think it is easy. So it goes linebackers, interior defensive tackles, or interior no. linebackers, defensive tackles. So linebackers, interior offensive line, defensive tackles. You got that's it. what I yeah, said the first time. No, that, you said interior defensive line second. Oh, we are gosh. recording this. Yeah, week. Jared, what, what we got? We'll We're check recording the tape. this, Jared. <laughs> we'll I'm check editing the tape, it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that, um, and and Andy, I agree with you here, and I, I think the interior defensive line has to be the number one position. They're the star of the show. The emergence of Kenneth Grant has been just a revelation on this team. We knew what Mason Graham was, and he's he's exactly what we thought he was. We knew what we thought Chris Jenkins would step into. He's proven that. Kenneth Grant's a monster. And then you start throwing some, you know, the Cam Goods of the world in there, and it's like the, the interior is just so sexy. It's just so sexy right now. I couldn't sum it up any better. I think one of the biggest testaments to this case is the fact that Mason Graham was out this week against our toughest opponent by far, a physical running team, and you didn't even notice the difference. Like Rayshon Benny and Cam Good, everybody stepped up, even players like Eno Etta, Cameron Brandt. Like the interior of this line has just been an impenetrable wall for the first month of the season, and I don't think it could be any other unit. 
Yeah, when we started this exercise and we started prepping for it all of 30 minutes ago, I wrote number one and number 12. The only two things that I knew, which were defensive tackle was number one and special teams was somewhere at the bottom. Inside of that, it was a lot that was up for debate. Defensive tackles, I'm just going to echo what you both said. You also you eloquated it perfectly. Um, but to talk on the linebackers and the offensive guards, I think that the interior offensive line has really covered a lot of warts and like we should be really thankful for those guys. That's not always pretty, but you know, we were working through some stuff with the tackles. So Zinter, Nugent, Keegan, those guys being stalwarts has been absolutely critical and still room for them to grow. And then linebackers, uh, we are uh, big supporters of both Michael Barrett and Junior Colson on this podcast and in our daily lives. So and Houseman. delightful to see. And Houseman, big Houseman guy. Um, you know, he, he's invited over for Thanksgiving dinner. Should he want to accept that invitation? Uh, Junior open Coulson, invite. Open invite. It's an open invite. Junior Colson <laughs> frightens me. I don't know that I would invite him because I'm pretty sure he would spear tackle my uncle and kill him. But. <laughs> nope, be fine. Really. We can't sleep on that, the Houseman homecoming game this weekend against Ooh. Nebraska either. Oh, yeah, wow. Absolutely. I have not thought about that yet. That's going to be intense. And let me just mention right. before we wrap this segment up here, it's interesting if you think about it uh, compared to preseason expectations. You have a clear winner and a clear loser. The clear winner is the receiver position, right? Well, I think we would have probably ranked that maybe near the very bottom preseason. Um, and the clear loser is special teams. I think we would have ranked that near the top. And if you compare it, I mean, it's dead last. And so you could say tight end. Uh, tackle as well. Tack tackle. Yeah. Tackle. tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I look at the receivers a winner, though. Came in. Yeah. Receiver is definitely a winner and outperforming expectations. But you looked at the tackles we came in with. I think we thought we'd be a little bit further along because it would be yeah. like worst case scenario. Trente Jones steps in and we're good. He got two snaps last week. And, you know, so I, I don't I still don't know what's going on with the tackles. Wasn't he wearing like number 93 too in this game? Yeah, I, I don't know. So I'm on the side of the so over there just eating a <laughs> loaf of bread crying. I don't know what he was doing. For most of the game. <laughs> <laughs> one playing oh man that's gonna do oh wait let's get uh your prediction we're gonna give ours later in the uh the end of this pod i want to hear your uh nebraska predictions it almost feels like i haven't given this much thought as far as like score prediction but it almost feels like for a michigan game at this point you have to predict like 31 to 6 or 31 to 7 <laughs> we it's, said the same it, thing it's like until until they show us literally anything different i just assume michigan's going to be in the mid 30s and they're going to hold their opponent to single digits um let me give nebraska nine points and then very sweet of you i'm gonna go just a smooth 35 just you know what no let's give turner let's give turner a, a field goal i'm gonna go 38 to nine a nice dominant mm. performance in lincoln smooth I like it. Absolutely. You'll get our predictions later in this one. Uh, that is going to do it, sir. We're going to slide over on your podcast here at some point, but tell the people where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it nowadays, at Wolverine Cron. Uh, go ahead and check out my website. That's WolverineChronicle.com. Also a YouTube channel out there you can check out. But uh, me and my buddy, Matt Hartwell, do a, a, a podcast called The Big House Bleachers Podcast. Um, it is, the, you know, all of your listeners, 
should listen to it after they're done listening to this podcast and buying things from your amazing sponsors and all that good stuff, then head on over to the Big House Bleachers podcast. Matt is not feeling well. He was supposed to be here tonight. He's sick, so uh, get well soon, Matt. We're thinking about you. But, uh, yeah, the Big House Bleachers podcast is another place that people can find me. Absolutely, sir. Yeah, uh, we like to liken our podcast to doing some ayahuasca and and maybe huffing some gas, and yours is like the nice calm down cigarette afterwards. So I think uh, pretty pretty traditional, pretty standard, really flow for your podcast. And uh, make sure you go check these guys out. Michael, thank you for coming on, sir. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Michael Smeltzer of Big House Bleacher Report for coming on, uh, just chatting it up with us and, and putting up with our nonsense. Uh, we will be guest starring on his episode, so go check that out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. We uh, certainly had some fun on that one as well. Kind of maybe took over on that, but uh, you know that's what you get when you invite us on. A little off the rails, you know. I hope everybody's had a chance to listen to it. Uh, should be out there. The Big House Bleachers podcast I had a great time. Like Michael just kind of queued us up. Let us go. Let us cook a little bit. So maybe we cooked a little too much, but there was cooking to be had. Look, like I said last time, you invite me and I'm taking my shirt off to establish dominance as soon as I'm in your house. That's just how we how we operate here. Uh, let's touch on skins draft here, sir. The last couple weeks of this one before we redraft at the halfway point. Really looking forward to that. Again, to touch on the point systems, we've got touchdowns, rushing, receiving, passing are all going to be one point. 50 yards rushing is a point. 50 yards receiving is a point. 100 yards passing gets a, gets you a point. You also get points for tackles for losses, fumble recoveries, forced fumbles, and pass breakups. You get two points for 100 yards rushing, 100 yards receiving, or 200 yards passing. You also get two points for sacks, uh, reception touchdowns, forced fumbles. Pick sixes are worth six. Scoop and scores were six. Interceptions worth four. So... Hopefully you got all that. That was a mouthful. But uh, running through this week, where do you want to uh, point out here? You obviously won with the Mikey Sater still pick six. But anything else you wanted to highlight in this absolute washing of my team? I was like, we can start wherever you want. Like in the words of Deion Sanders, this was a good old fashioned butt kicking. Solely because of the solely because of the one statistic. No, this week I had the the best week of any of us throughout the season. I got two points from uh, JJ McCarthy passing yards. Two points for Blake Corum touchdowns, one point for Derek Moore tackle for loss, and six points from Mikey Sanderstill's pick six for a grand total score of 11. Yeah, you absolutely washed me here. Can't wait to do this redraft. Something tells me it's going to go a little bit differently than last time. Um, first pick last time, J.J. McCarthy passing yards. Is that going to be the number one pick in the redraft? I, I don't think so. I think Corum something or other is going to be the top pick. I just feels like a Blake Corum touchdowns and a Michigan win is one of the safest bets you can make all college football season. I would have to agree with that. Yeah. So we'll do that here in the coming weeks. Looking forward to redrafting. But yeah, at this point, I can't even come back and tie you. You've you've pretty much run away with the skins draft. Um, the question will be, do I get first pick now since you got first pick last time? It's only fair. I like it. All right. So I get to control the draft a little bit. Looking yep. forward to that one. Uh, anything else we need to touch on before we get into Nebraska, sir? No, let's move into the Cornhuskers. 
let's. Uh, and while I would not recommend anyone do that because it's uh, it's a bit of a tough watch, but it's a better watch than last year. Four and eight last year, three and six in the Big Ten. The last year of Scott Frost, Matt Rule coming over, um, coming from Carolina before that at Baylor, where he did some great things. And currently sitting at two and two, coming off a win over Louisiana Tech, twenty eight to fourteen to get them on two and two through the year. I tweeted during the Minnesota game first uh, first week where they definitely could have won that game versus Minnesota. Should have won that position, game. Should have won that game. They were in position to win that. I said that Matt Rule is a much better coach than Scott Frost, and I said that because of the defense and they have dramatically improved on that side of the ball. But what have you seen from this Nebraska team so far? I'm just seeing a team in the middle of a rebuild. Like you're you're not going to just come in here and make this team immediately good. Like there's going to take some time. Matt Rule has proven at the college level that he can turn around teams. He did it with Temple. His first year there was two and ten. His last year there was ten and three. He did it with Baylor coming off the Art Briles big uh, scandal there. First year there one and eleven. Two years later, eleven and three. So it's going to take time. Team searching for an identity, getting his players in place. Right now, it's just a lot of stopgap transfers. But like Matt Rule is like just somebody you believe in, especially at the college level, that can get this ship going in the right direction. Something Scott Frost could never seem to do. Yeah, and I mean, already to two wins, he's halfway to last year's win total. Yeah. The schedule does not really let up. And like you said, still looking for an identity, still trying to figure out who their quarterback is. They started with Jeff Sims, who you and I were really, really ragging on early on in the season, uh, comes out and goes 11 for 19 with one touchdown, three interceptions against Minnesota. And it didn't really get much better from there, uh, causing them to make a switch at the quarterback position where now they're starting Heinrich Harburg, who I don't really know much about, but somebody better tell me where his grandparents were from like 1936 to 1945. I'd be curious. The thing with Heinrich is, so he kind of got the opportunity really because of a Jeff Sims injury and he made the most of it. I mean, last week against Louisiana tech, he had 107 passing yards on eight completions. He, but the big news is he had 157 rushing yards on 19 attempts Average 8.3 yards per carry, just very much a run first quarterback. They're kind of kind of take their shots. Like it's basically a spread version of like a, a service academy school is kind of how they're operating right now. And good for them. You need a way to win. So why not kind of just lean into this identity, even if it is limited? Yeah, yeah, good point about the Sims injury, and they were trying to run the ball with Sims as their quarterback as well. He's going to get you snapped. He just, yeah, he just couldn't handle it, but he had 91 yards rushing on 19 carries against Minnesota. You pointed out the service Academy. It's a good thing. They're running that type of offense because they're currently number 126 in passing offense. The only teams that are passing it less are the service academies and Louisiana. So it's uh it's not a pass heavy offense, which is why when I see a lot of people saying this could be a trap game for Michigan, I wondering where you're getting that and why you're seeing that a team that cannot move the ball at all through the air and is going to be relying on, on running against our front seven. That doesn't say trap game to me, but I don't know. I'd love to get your take on that. No one dimensional teams just are not going to be threats to Michigan. Like, let's just call it what it is. People are looking at box scores, looking at national rankings. I mean, like, well, this could cause issues. It's like, it could cause a slow start, but it's not going to cause anything resembling an issue. Like schools that could give like Michigan problems are teams like, like Rutgers that like 
have a, at least a competent passing attack, a good run heavy first scheme, a good head coach, stuff like that is going to give them issues or could present a challenge. But like teams this one dimensional, there's absolutely no way. I mean, Michigan's going to load up in the box. The defensive line is just too dominant for this offense to really give them much of a scare. I'm with you. Yeah, I would look at a team like Maryland and I would say, okay, can they get two to three scores with their yeah. offense and then maybe do something with defense to get up 28 points? Because it's going to take at least 24. You're not beating Michigan with 21 points very yeah. often. You know, that's not going to happen. So you need to be able to put up points. You need to be able to move the ball on offense and play something that resembles competent defense. And uh, while Nebraska's defense is improving, yep. and I think eventually this will be a, a stout defensive team. I mean, this two three years it's just not there yet um i do believe in matt rule's ability to get things turned around if you remember that baylor team they were like the only team in the uh the big 12 at the time that was playing defense and they were playing extremely at a, an extremely high level so i would think that that's the formula here and that's what they want to build i don't know if the formula is this running quarterback spread option service academy offense or if they're just doing that because that's what's on the roster the roster is is unfortunately pretty woefully bereft of talent right now yeah it's just going to take him a few years to really make his blueprint with what he wants to run um I, I expect the offense to evolve to at least have some more balance in the end of it but like it's just going to take time like jeff sims you and i are watching the colorado nebraska game we're like is this the worst power five starting quarterback i mean he just couldn't hang on to the football and it's like you just see that like throughout the team it just looks like a team i mean that's just prototypical rebuild like this is what it's going to kind of look like it's just going to be a little sloppy right now but it's like maybe it's because we believe in rule too much as a person or we just trust his like college acumen because i mean seems like a great guy seems like a decent coach i mean a lot more likable than scott frost which really isn't saying much but it just seems like he's eventually going to get it like going in the right direction i mean how what's the ceiling of that is that conference championship is that 11 wins like he has at his last two stops I don't know, but I at least think it's north of 500. Yeah, I would agree with that and and where they're headed to eventually. And um, yeah, I mean, Jeff Sims, part of it, just not a great quarterback, unfortunately. And I don't know if he's the worst or I don't know, maybe Cade McNamara at Iowa's got a got a, a claim at, at the worst quarterback in all of Power 5 football right now. But Jeff Sims was right up there. Don't really know about Heinrich, as you were mentioning. And uh, yeah, just where, they're, where this team is trending eventually. Couldn't agree with you more. But as it stands right now, it's just not a very complete team. So I think Michigan's going to be able to to move the ball and particularly move the ball through the air, because as it stands right now, this is currently the number one rush defense. Granted, you got to take all these early season statistics with a bit of a grain of salt till everyone yeah. starts playing each other. But, you know, it is what it is. And they should you know get some credit for that, for being a pretty stout run defense up to this point. They should. I mean, like, again, it's kind of like you look at the numbers, like playing Colorado helped, which is the number 132 rushing attack in the country. Uh, Louisiana Tech game was very strange. I believe they only they threw the ball 42 times in that game and they ran the ball. I mean, just less than 20 times or right at 20. Like it was a very weird distribution when they got behind. So numbers going to be a little inflated. Colorado defense runs a 33 stack like they're going to be very aggressive with their linebackers. You're going to see some stuff shut down in the run game. Could be, you know, a little a, a good test for the Michigan offense early on, but the balance and then seeing McCarthy back in rhythm, back to being his efficient self, I think it's just going to be too much for this team. And the, eventually the dam is going to break, similarly like it did against Colorado. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. So 19 carries for Sims against Minnesota, 19 carries for Harburg last week against Louisiana Tech. Can they afford to run their quarterback 19 times against this Michigan team with the amount of pressure they're going to be facing already? That feels like a great recipe to not finish the football game and to get your quarterback knocked out of a game. But am I overvaluing Michigan's defense and their ability to really put a hurting on a quarterback? No, I mean, you're, you're going to see it. It's going to be tested. I thought that sometimes with Wimsett last week with what they were doing so in this game you're going to expect michigan to come out and kind of like a bare front so they're going to have probably kenneth grant at the zero tech they're going to have two three tech defensive tackles in chris jenkins and probably rayshawn benny if mason graham is still out and then two edges and they're also probably going to bring the nickel a lot to account for the quarterback and just say beat us through the air so that's really what you're going to see in this. Will Johnson is going to shut down one side. So expect Josh Wallace to get some, get tested a little bit, which is going to be good for him to get these early season reps. But I just, I can't see a world where as long as Michigan is assignment sound in the front seven, especially along that line and with the nickel and linebacker responsibilities that Nebraska is going to just consistently move the ball. Like scoring is going to be at a minimum for this team. Like I, I would lean more towards a shutout than I would double digits for Nebraska in this game. I 100% was with you on that, wanted to get into that, like how are they going to be able to score? How are they going to be able to put together long, sustained drives? Uh, we were waxing poetic about uh, the Rutgers game and how we were able to keep the ball away from them. I think it's going to be very similar against yeah. Nebraska. Would not be surprised if in the second half of this thing you see like, oh, Nebraska had the ball four times total, you know, three, three and outs and a punt and or, or a, you know, a fumble or something in there is probably going to be uh, what you're looking at when you're looking at the recipe this game but yeah i mean i'm just trying to think of anything that could maybe make it more interesting it is in nebraska which is you know it's a, a loud loud stadium they certainly come they're more polite fans than they are like get some of the best fans with, in the country yeah they're really nice um so it's more like you know polite ribbing rather it is like they're gonna get on your back and ride you for the whole the whole night um you know 3 30 game so this will be wrapping up you know right as the the sun's coming down but yeah i don't look at anything of this game and i and think trap game i think this is a game michigan's going to control pretty much start to finish yeah i mean michigan has the best third down offense in terms of uh converting percentage in the big 10 one of the best in the country i expect long drives take advantage of what they give you really show the balance kind of like you saw with Rutgers. like they're going to start loading up then you're going to start throwing it more you're going to start backing up then run it more like it's just going to be a lot of give and take and that's what makes this michigan offense so deceptively dangerous is because it's really efficient in both aspects of just offensive attack so I, I just – I don't know how Nebraska is going to hold up for this long because that defense is going to be on the field a long time. They're kind of suffering from the Iowa problem right now where it's like you have a pretty solid defense, but the offense is just borderline inept at times. Like we read, we read off the rushing numbers against Louisiana Tech and like what they were doing. They still only scored 28 points. Like it was a lot of empty calories in there. You're moving the ball some like for 200-yard rushers and like that uh, – yards per attempt number you expect at least 30 points in that game so Nebraska is going to have some turnovers some mistakes it's just about Michigan being on the road for the first time and not giving them any just freebies to score I'm with you on that yeah uh you know we were kind of talking about this a little bit I think we mentioned it over on the Big House Bleachers <clears throat> podcast a little bit as well just like the lack of passing offenses or competent passing offenses that Michigan has faced and will face moving forward uh the Big Ten is just you know and, and this is kind of how it always is in the Big Ten but especially so this year just devoid of elite um 
quarterbacks, elite mm-hmm. passing attacks, and Nebraska falls squarely into that category. So I uh, totally agree. There's not really anything more I can take from this. So let's get some predictions and some players of the game, sir. Uh, do you want to start us out? Yeah, I'll start us out. Um, I think uh, player of the game, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be J.J. McCarthy. I think it's going to be him. But to do it diversified a little bit, I'm going to say Tyler Morris. I say he finally gets in the end zone, replicates Samaj Morgan to stay just, you know, one for one in the touchdowns with them, keeps the the race for the third wide receiver just neck and neck. Uh, they were so close in the Bowling Green game. McCarthy was just off in that one. Otherwise, uh, Morris would already have one. So I think Tyler Morris could be the player of the game offensively, more of a breakout player than anything. Uh, defensively, I'm going to say it's going to be somebody in the front seven, maybe a big Big junior Colson game, really shutting down the run, holding the responsibilities in this gap, playing gap sound, being very just like into the rush lanes, shutting everything down and making this offense just anemic throughout the game. Final score, I think Michigan's going to cruise. I think it's going to be the first time all season they cover the spread. As of right now, only two teams are undefeated straight up and winless against the spread, and it's Michigan and it's Georgia. So. Not bad company to keep, but they break the streak this week. They cover the spread. I believe it's sitting out around like 17 or 18 right now. Michigan cruises 42-3. Teams with high expectations and nothing to prove. This stands to reason. I I love it. I love where you went with your players of the game there. We see this game very similarly, so not too surprising. I kind of see things the same way. Going to be a big JJ game. I went with JJ last week, and it was probably more the quorum game on offense, but I think that this one really lends itself to JJ doing some stuff through the air. We saw the Colston-Loveland connection really start to get going last week. I think that'll continue. Loveland is going to get into the end zone for his first touchdown. Um, but also in the, for the sake of keeping things interesting, let's go with the tackles. Tackles have go. been not much maligned, but you know, there's been some criticism handed over their way and waiting to see them really start to click. So I think this will be a great game by the tackles. So uh Ladarius Henderson, Chris Barnhart, I think, or Carson Barnhart, excuse me, gonna have a, a big don't know who Chris Barnhart is. Sounds like a hell of a guy. <laughs> Uh, but they're going to have a big game. So let me go with the tackles. And then on defense, uh, again, see it very similarly. You stole the Colson one for me. So how about the Ernest Houseman comeback game returning to Nebraska? That'll Good be fun call. to watch. Excited to see him out there as well. He'll probably get a lot of run in this game. Totally agree with you as well that I think this is going to be the biggest victory yet for Michigan. Uh, see it very similarly. You went 42 to three, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I will go kind of close to that. I will go 35 to three. And, you know, basically just echoing what you said and what we were saying this entire time that Nebraska is going to really struggle to move the ball. And I see him maybe getting into the red zone a couple times, but this Michigan red zone defense is elite. So once you get down there, the field gets so small. And if you can't throw the ball in your one dimensional, it's just going to be hard to get into the end zone. Yeah. And uh, updated injury report coming into this week. Expect Mason Graham to be out at least uh, this game uh, should return against Minnesota. Uh, Darius Clemens is healthy. Harbaugh compared him to Nico Collins, which Jared adjust the bridges accordingly in practice. So we could see some Clemens getting back on the field. Uh, Amarian Walker's getting healthy as well. So I don't know if we'll see him intermix, get some reps late in this game to really just get his feet underneath him because probably going to need him next year in the back end. Um, but as far and Miles Hinton playing through an injury, so could be some of the issues with his mobility and pass pro. We'll see how that affects his playing time against Nebraska. But I love your call on the tackles. Like, I just think the offensive line is going to just continue to improve. At least that's what we want to see. And before possibly a hostile environment with a night game at Minnesota in two weeks, you'd like to see him kind of get rolling this week. 
I completely agree with that. Yeah, the Minnesota one, that'll be a little bit more of a, an interesting challenge to break down. But again, you know, a lot of the same same discussion points. So excited to get to that one. Just lost the Northwestern. Just lost the Northwestern. So I don't know how excited we can get about that. But, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a good matchup against Nebraska. Excited to watch our offense against that defense and excited to go on the road for the first time, see how the team deals with some adversity, though this is a, uh, a road-tested, battle-tested team. So I, I'm not too, not too concerned. Yeah, I'm hoping for a, a nice, what is it, Thunderstruck? Or it's, I know it's an ACDC song yeah. after the third quarter. They, they vibe out to it and, like, I saw a thing going around, like showing it from 2021 last time Michigan was there. And they're all like going crazy to it. Uh, Braden McGregor with an excellent air guitar, perfect form. And that was coming after giving up a 22 point quarter and trailing at Nebraska with like your season in the big 10 on the line. And they're just having a great time. And that's when we knew the culture had changed. So I'd love to see it. Even if Michigan's up by 22 or whatever at that time to have the same kind of energy entering the fourth quarter. Love it. Can't wait to watch that part of it. Yeah, uh, much like the Nebraska program, uh, ACDC probably peaked in uh, the late 80s. So they've got <laughs> that in common. But, uh, you know, shout out to Nebraska. Looking forward to this one. That game will be on 3.30 this weekend. That is going to do it for us unless you got anything else, sir. No, sir. That's it for me. All right. Uh, shout out to my dad, Ron Stormer, a loyal listener of the pod. Um, you know, he's listening. So thanks for always tuning in, dad. Got to appreciate you there. And that's going to do it for us. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or that Spotify, mm -hmm. Apple Music or wherever. Leave us a five star review if you haven't already. We would certainly appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. You can follow Andy and myself. I'm at JStorm303. He's at UMAndrewB. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.